Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. We're mid-May, I think, now when this drops. You know, we don't have much time left in the school year. I don't know. Is it going to be like when sports seasons have an asterisk next to the championship because they didn't have a full season like they were on strike? Is it going to be an asterisk on this school year? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to do that. Some school districts coming out and saying they're not going to give grades or everyone gets an A. Oh, awesome. All right. There's a lot of (laughs) weird adjustments that are happening, and unfortunately, we really really won't know the consequences for a while. Not even, you know, just the trauma that is going to ensue from this. You know, in Orange County, I'd read a statistic that domestic violence was up, child abuse was up, a ridiculous amount I can't think off the top of my head. And I think, you know, the first response was like, oh, so many kids have these meals at, at school. Like, we really need to be on top of that. And a lot of districts responded really quickly. And now, as we're settled into this, we're seeing, you know, there's so much more. There's a haven. That. Yeah. And those are the mandated reporters. So who is the mandated reporter now? And, you know, that's That's everyone. And it's anyway, I don't know why that popped in my head, but I'm really excited because we have Jennifer Price, who we're going to see in person at COPA, the special education conference that we go to every year. Um, We wanted to see if we could get um, some guests. Amanda and I didn't make it this year, but Jennifer, we're so happy that you decided to get online with us so that we can communicate with you and have another attorney from the East Coast on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. You are a an attorney that practices similar to us in that you do special education and you also do some guardianship and special needs trusts, which we've talked about on the pod. But can you tell a little bit to our listeners how you got into this area of law, since this is always such a, a question that we get because it's such a unique area of law? We'd love yeah. to hear Sure, yeah. So I actually got into this area as a prosecutor. I started out my practice as a prosecutor for the city, well, Fralegan County, which is the county seat for the city of Pittsburgh. And I started in the adult division for about five years and then moved over to the juvenile division. And the juvenile division was where I was really introduced to not just the IEPs, but the fact that there was a whole area of law where you can represent children in the matters. Parents would come in, you know, complaining about, you always heard the consistent complaint of they're not following his IEP, but they may have had to justify or explain to the judge why their child is missing so many days out of school or why their grades are failing or why, you know, the child's behavior doesn't seem to be, you know, at least acceptable to the judge and to the school. And so I just kept hearing a consistent repetition about the IEP and that the schools weren't following it and just began having conversations with probation officers. And then I found an attorney who didn't practice in that area of law, but said he had a lot of kids with problems with the school and he would refer his clients to a certain attorney. And so then I started following up with that attorney. Once I had my son, I knew I was going to leave the DA's office, but wasn't sure beforehand where I wanted to narrow my focus. So then once I was introduced to this, then I said, okay, well, this is where I'm going to narrow 
my focus. I've always been a big advocate of education in so many regards, so it just kind of all fell into place at the right time. And Jennifer, you were a DA in Pennsylvania? Yep, a DA in Pennsylvania. Yep, I lived out in Pittsburgh, and so I was the DA out there, one of the assistant DAs. And your law firm is still in Pennsylvania, right? It is, yep. Did you see a lot of school districts referring to the DA's office for truancy? So in Pennsylvania, the truancy would be referred to the magistrate's office. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we wouldn't see them from the district attorney's office, but I would know about it from as a prosecutor because the juvenile probation officers had to put together what's called a predisposition report, which is just a report to inform everyone involved on the matter, everything about the child, whether it's his yeah. educational background, you know, work, life, family background. And so there would sometimes be mention of truancy, either the mom had to go to truancy court or, you know, she district filed charges for truancy against the mom, things like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Here in California, we get a lot of school districts that use uh, truancy referrals to the district attorney as retaliation for parents fighting for their kids, which is so wrong and unfortunate. So we often have to speak to DAs that get referred and just be like, yeah, this is a child who has an IEP and who has difficulty getting to school, whether it's, you know, school withdrawal and they really should be in an RTC or something along those lines. And almost all the times, once we get in contact with the DA, we're able to flush it out and it goes away. But that's with an attorney involved, right? A lot of these families don't have the luxury or have the access to an attorney to kind of smooth things over and explain that that's why, you know, it's not just the kid just refusing to go to school. Yeah, and that's a good point to make because it's an area of law that's very niche and not a lot of people understand the intricacies behind it or some of the nuances or just some of the basic black letter laws behind it. So I, yeah, I can imagine having to explain it. And then here at the magistrates in Pennsylvania, you don't have to be an attorney in order to be a magistrate. If you're not an attorney, you have to, you're required to go to a certain number of hours in training. So that can be even more frustrating. Wow. Where do you have your due process cases? How are those adjudicated? They start out with hearing officer, and then you can appeal after that to the state officer, and then, or you can just go straight from a hearing officer decision into federal court. Okay, so it's somewhat similar to how we, I'm always fascinated with different states and how, like, I know in New York, almost, I think like 90% of cases go to hearing, but it's very different than like here, where ours is administrative hearing, so administrative law judges, not, you know. Um, And 90% um, of those cases settle before they even get to the administrative law judge. Yeah, the vast majority of the ones here settle also. Okay. They, the matter of fact, the hearing officers strongly encourage to have a very, you know, well-informed and robust settlement conference ahead of time. Oh, interesting. So do you have to set up a mediation with opposing counsel? Like, can you walk, just like walk us through, this is probably just very nerdy of me, but after you file a complaint, can you kind of walk us through what next steps are? Sure. So you file a complaint and then, uh, of course, notice gets sent out to all the parties involved and you have approximately 10 days to have a settlement conference. Oh, wow. And that's already sort uh-huh. of built into the rules that they expect opposing counsel or the parties to get together and discuss settlement by within a 10 day time frame. With, and then wow. if it can't get settled, then, you know, you let them know it's not getting settled and then it'll, then you'll still have a, a huge 
hearing date, but the question is whether they're going to postpone that hearing date because you're still set talking about settlement negotiations in that time frame or whether you're going to keep that hearing date. So in California, we have within 15 wow. days the opportunity to have a resolution session. And that's usually, okay. yeah, if uh, the parent's attorney goes to it, then the district can have their attorney present. So that would yeah. be the first time that the attorneys could be in the same room. And then here in California, they strongly encourage mediation with an administrative law judge oh. before your hearing. But essentially, you could just have your hearing date. And if you had the resolution session and, you know, it didn't go on, well you just wanted to go straight to hearing. But again, they strongly encourage that you try yeah. to mediate with a judge. And and I thought that that's why in California it was high. But it, it sounds like even just getting opposing counsel in the same room with you, you can, for the most part, try to resolve things, right? And even sometimes it doesn't, depending on where the parties are, you know, from a, you know, happiness or how contentious it can be, sometimes it's best to get everyone in the room, but sometimes it's best if I just speak with yeah. the attorney on the phone. But yeah, most of them certainly do settle, by and far. Most yeah, of them settle. That's good. I it's yeah. pretty similar to ours. We tend to have more cases that end up with settling that mediation okay. or like quote unquote resolution sessions aren't always as fruitful. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's usually meant as a fact finding mission for the school attorney. Many times we get there and they don't know anything about the case by the time it gets to that point. Okay. So it's like that's what starts the jumping off of the negotiations. Unfortunately, okay. you know, a little bit different, but I mean, we do eventually settle. It just sometimes takes a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting that they incorporate a mediation session because out here you have to request one if you want. And it's considered, you know, just something totally different than the whole due process. Oh, hearing. interesting. It's like a whole separate process. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that yeah. is a possibility of mediation only, but I th don't think the parent can be represented. Am I correct in that? We don't do a lot of the mediation only, Amanda. We can be there. It's just not usually because yeah, yeah. there's not much of a threat for the school district. There's they just go, okay, go to mediation, we don't settle, then whatever, it goes away. So yeah. it's not a really encouraged to settle. So I think that's... Yeah, and I mean, a complaint yeah. isn't necessarily filed with that procedure. So, I mean, right. you're kind of getting in a room and then you're like having to go over and, you know, that's why we go the route of filing the complaint. Right. Because right. if at the res session you didn't read it, that's neither here nor there. That's not my problem. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, better be prepared when we get to mediation. But yeah, I mean, there is something nice about having an administrative law judge obviously that wouldn't be the same judge that holds your hearing okay. and I say that obviously here because it's you know most of the time if you're any in any other area of the law you know sometimes the judge that hears your case was there at mediation but yeah not here in California how long typically are your complaints are they pretty lengthy or you just kind of get or it just depends it really depends, but I generally just try to get to the main essence of what the complaint of what the issues are. Mm -hmm. So I would say between two and three pages because I, I type it out on, you know, it's a separate sheet of paper and then do the single space bullets. Okay. So, so mine are just typically like two or three pages. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We get this question a lot, so it's probably hard to answer, but is there, are there any trends, types of cases that you've been seeing lately out there? Not really. It really just kind of goes, I mean, I guess recently before COVID-19 hit, I would see a lot of disciplinary complaints mm -hmm. or issues coming up where maybe the school is not having, holding some sort of NDR. They're just moving straight to trying to expel the student. Mm -hmm. So that was beginning to crop up. 
right before COVID-19 hit. Do you see a lot of schools providing inclusive settings or do you see LRE being a big issue out there? Yeah, I see a lot of inclusive settings. Part of the problem that's been coming up is that the IEP will read well, sometimes, many times the IEP may read well, but they're just not following the IEP. It's not implemented, yeah. Yeah. So then it becomes, I mean, I hate to say he said, she said, but in terms of the school saying we're doing that or, or we're not, and the parents saying, you're, no, you're not doing that. Some, I will say that many parents will say once I get involved as the attorney, then, of course, their attitudes will change at the IEP meeting and they'll become more open and receptive because now their lawyer, of course, is sitting there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So do you, you attend IEP meetings with families I'm just gonna file or you have like a combination of the two I mean it's a combination of the two but more often than not I tend to just file I don't go to as many IEP meetings ahead of time just because usually by the time they come to see me they're just like over it and done it's so far gone yeah (laughs) it's only so far we can get in an IEP meeting sometimes and if you need comp ed I mean right exactly yeah so we've been trying to get a lot of information out to our listeners about not only things that can help them during COVID-19, but also what's going on in Congress and, you know, everything that COPA has been doing in terms of the waivers of IDEA that some congressmen are, are trying to put forward. Here in California, our governor announced pretty early on that he was not going to be requesting those waivers. Has your governor said anything so far? Do you know kind of where your administration is leaning? He has another press conference this evening, but so far he hasn't said one way or the other he's going to request the waiver or not request the waiver. So it's a major concern. And I did a webinar last Tuesday and Thursday for an organization. One was for their service providers and the other was for the parents. And both of them, you know, just had had a lot of concerns about where it was going to go. Has he said anything just about education in general? Like we've had a lot of executive orders essentially saying you are receiving funding, so you are required to provide distance learning. Whereas I know other states have kind of left it in a gray area where schools could just say we're not providing anything. So there has been a very clear line of stating you are, you do have to educate everyone. And I think that really was in response to the Philadelphia school district in the very beginning, taking the stance that because it's, they perceive it to be difficult to educate children with disabilities, that they just weren't going to educate anyone at all. And that became a problem. So going forward, the state said, yes, you do have to educate your all children. Yeah. It's crazy how still some school districts are still like we're getting prior written notices from districts that are saying, yeah, we're still not providing anything. Are you getting any of that? I haven't gotten any of that. No, but I have received a question from parents about receiving notices from their school district asking the parents whether they would waive some of the requirements in their child's oh. IEPs. Should we sign off on this? Should we agree to that? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so that's been the issue most recently that's come up that's going around a couple of the schools districts asking the parents to waive some of their requirements. That's that's horrible. And you know, there'd be, you know, some families that are so overloaded that they're like, I can't do this, these lessons anyway. So sure, I'll just sign it off, even though it's like, okay, well, you could choose not to do it, but still don't waive your rights if they're not providing something that is accessible for you. Yeah, exactly. It's really sad and unfortunate. That's why I was so glad to do the webinar, just to at least let the parents know that the schools have an obligation and you shouldn't, you know, sign anything to get them off the hook for it, you know, seek some sort of compensatory education, maybe on the back end, but yeah. definitely don't agree because that's all they're going to say in the end. Well, you consented to this. So. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Is your webinar, is it online still anywhere that we could like link for people? 
It is. It's on my website. It ended up being about an hour to an hour and a half. So I broke it down into six different parts just because I created the webinar in a manner to where I broke down the questions into different topics. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So I did it in six. So it's called a six part series. Have you seen that you are having to do more during this time for your clients? than you would naturally. I mean, this time is a very hectic time anyway. We're getting to the end of the school year, but I wondered if this unique kind of situation that we're in has kind of given you more that you've had to do. Yeah, in terms of just answering questions and calming fears down, a lot of parents are just concerned about where their child is gonna land at the end of the school year, and therefore at the beginning of the school year. And, you know, some parents were concerned about whether their child was gonna advance to the next grade, especially if they were already sort of borderline before COVID-19, and now they're not doing well or not very receptive to the virtual setting environment. So there are definitely a lot of concerns about that. Even the grading, System, what does it mean for them? You know, because in Pennsylvania, school districts can do a pass fail. And hmm. so they have a lot of questions about what does that mean for their child who has an IEP passing or failing, you know. So the, yeah, right. right now there's just a lot of a lot of anxiety on part of the parents that I can imagine. Of. Like yeah. you're gonna go and say pass. What does pass mean in terms of progress? Right. To get school districts that use fluffed up grades as it is to say this child is thriving, right? Because yeah. they're getting A's and B's when they're not making progress. So you know, what is a pass? Are they gonna try to say that that's meaningful progress? It is dangerous. And I mean, speaking of fluffed up grades, I guess it does take me back to your prior question about some trends that were happening, certainly when it came to a learning disability and reading comprehension. One frustrating part that I would always see was in the SDIs, the, the teacher would read out the questions to the student but their measurable goal would be something like the child will be able to read X amount of words. And I'm like, that doesn't even, the child is obviously not on track to meet their right. goals when you're reading when everything you're reading. for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. So that's definitely one that I kept seeing cropping up. What are tips and tricks that before this COVID-19 were you giving to parents to kind of handle themselves at an IEP? Is there anything, a lot of our listeners, we try to, give them little things here and there that they may not necessarily know like you don't have to sign at the end of the IEP meeting you can take it over and read it and digest it a little bit is there anything like that that you kind of tell clients here and there yeah, I do. I tell them that same thing, not to feel like they have to sign everything. Even if the school is rushing them, tell them that you want some time to think about it. I always try to remind parents that school districts position themselves from what they are legally obligated to do, not necessarily what might be nice for them to do. Right. So they right. should keep that in mind when they're going when they're dealing with school districts that, you know, it might not seem fair or if they or you think they should do that, but if they're not legally obligated, then they're looking at it differently. So I tell them that in an effort to sort of quell their emotions that they can sort of think differently and think a little bit more analytically instead of emotionally because we're dealing with children and their children. And their children. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's best practices and some districts may be 
doing that, but it does not mean that all districts will be doing that. And I think when we say that to parents, like there's the law and there's best practices. Yes, what you're saying is best practice, but it does not mean that they are necessarily doing that, you know? And so then that's when we try to encourage them to get involved with their PTA or their community advisory board. Yeah. So that, you know, you see the change from within and it's hard. I mean, we can only do so much as special education attorneys, right? Yeah. And they're always concerned as soon as we get to the settlement, well, I'm scared I'm going to sign it today. And then next week I'm going to have another problem, you know, so I, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I mean, there's always concerns. We're always having to tell parents about that. And it's like, yeah. you know, you can worry about the now and try to, to fix the now and prepping for what comes next is, you know, documenting as much as possible getting logs from schools, you know, yes. asking for data to be collected. Yes. And I think that's what we try to, to say to our families as much as possible, too. It's like, if you're concerned that they're not going to implement appropriately or if they're not going to do X, Y, and Z, you can ask ahead of time for them to be documenting things. And then if they don't document it, then it's like, well, then I, you know, have some proof that it probably didn't happen, mm-hmm. right? That's probably our biggest tool in our arsenal, you know, as attorneys and parents is ask for documentation ahead of time and and create uh, your own documentation as well yeah. you know a lot of conversations yeah. happen when you're exchanging the kid you know in the goodbye line or whatever and oftentimes you know a parent can remember everything that was said but you know if they follow up with an email to the teacher you know that is always useful you know from an attorney standpoint but I think also just for a point of reference you know the accountability that's all we are as attorneys in this area of the law we're just like the accountability police yeah I have the parents that'll come in with three-inch, three-ring binders apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know it's a lot. I'm like, no, I love it. This is exactly what I want. It's so much better than the ones that come in and you've got nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely documentation. That was one of the questions at the end of the webinar. A parent was saying that she's called a couple of times and told the teacher that she wanted to, or she would email the teacher and then the teacher would call her in response and what Mm. can she do? And I would say just to email back and uh, summary of your conversation yeah. you know I wouldn't necessarily just stop conversation but right. certainly send her an email summarizing your understanding of the conversation that way you can still have some a paper trail and if you yeah. misunderstood something they have a chance to clarify it which is great because yes. it gets you on the same page and yeah. if you didn't then it's that record that you have you know because the, the yeah. memory is not what it used to be especially if you have more than one child in a different school or with a different learning yeah. capability so you know, and with our phones, you know, oftentimes it's easier to send that text or whatnot. Um, so we try to make it because, you know, it seems overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, I can't send an email every single time. And it's like, you may not have to. Sometimes you have an app on your phone for the student portal and da 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 da. And so, yeah, so yeah. We, we encourage that as well. It's good to hear that yeah. you do too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Before we end, we always like to, we're kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but do you have kind of like a feel good story, maybe one of the complicated cases? that had a great result or just a fun parent or child that you were able to help at any time in your career? 
Yeah, I just had one where the child was really just beginning to fall behind and get frustrated with everything going on. She had some disciplinary issues, but overall, she still loved school. Some of her disciplinary issues were peer-related, but nonetheless, it was affecting her education. So I got involved to stop some of the suspensions that were happening and to prevent the school from doing a full expulsion. And it's really been good going forward. Even the parents said that her communication with the teachers has been a lot more open. We had the child, the daughter in the meetings, and she became more expressive of exactly like what was going on, how she was feeling, and why she may not be receptive to this person, but she's more receptive to another teacher. So then we could build that into the plan that maybe this room is a safe space whenever she's feeling, you know, irritated versus the other classroom. So that's the most recent one that's been a really nice one because it's been a long road for the family. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of case them. that can easily turn south very quickly. Yeah. And on the right track is so important. It is. It's just to get all the communication. I mean, it was almost like aha moment, I guess, when the daughter was in the meeting and finally just expressed herself and everyone was just like, oh, I get it. Oh, right. Okay. Well, right. now that we know, let's move forward. So yeah, that one was really, that one was really good. That's great. Are you still taking on new clients right now if they're having any people in your local area are having any issues with COVID-19 or anything else? I am taking on clients. I do everything now through video conference or the telephone. But yeah, I am taking on clients if someone has any questions or um, has wants me to look over any documents. Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. You know, you're in the Pennsylvania area and you need help. Uh, we'll link information and we'll link information about um, from your webinar as well in case anyone in the area just wants to check that out. I think it's always helpful to get, you know, someone local that's, you know, we can talk about what's happening on the federal scale, but we can't have to talk about what's happening in every state. So yeah. it's so helpful to get that information out to our listeners. So thank you so much for being here. We oh, thank so you. appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're welcome. I thank you for being here. This is fun. Yay. I like it. <laughs> yeah. it's, See, it's not all bad. I know it's a bunch of attorneys <laughs> with a podcast. It's not all bad. We keep it cool and casual. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks. Bye.